Welcome to this bonus edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and and I thought it'd be good to just take a moment to talk a little bit about Kyle Shanahan because there is some rumbling in the Twitter sphere with some writers that shall remain nameless talking about how Kyle Shanahan should be perhaps on the hot seat. So I thought I'd reach out to fellow statistician, not even fellow statistician, I'm no statistician. I thought I'd bring in the experts and bring in the heavy hitters. One Mr. George Shahuri of Pro Football Focus. He is a data scientist and he does lots of wonderful things with numbers and one of the things that he's working on is really disaggregating the effect of coaching on teams. And so I thought it would be helpful and instructive to have him on and talk a little bit about how Kyle Shanahan is performing relative to the team and perhaps relative to other coaches. Now, we recorded this just after the Arizona game. So you'll hear reference to the third down play near the end of the game in Arizona that maybe could have iced the game. And so that's just something to note when you're listening to the show. But Overall, I thought it was a really fun discussion and one that was important when you're talking about whether or not Kyle Shanahan should be in the hot seat, because quite frankly, he shouldn't be. He's a good coach. And as you as you will hear from George, the numbers backed it up in a lot of really great ways. The other thing to note is that we George and I got started and we had kind of a, a, a non cold open. We kind of smoothed into the, the talk. So you'll kind of hear a fade in uh, and it won't be a clean, a clean intro. But uh, without further ado, here is a bonus episode of my chat with George from Pro Football Focus. I'm uh, flying out tomorrow night, so I have to get all my laundry done. Oh man, how do you, how do you live? I don't get it. Early. It's, it's tough, dude. It's really hard. It's a uh, <laughs> struggling. Should we open up a podcast with me bemoaning my lifestyle? Just a, <laughs> a, a raw cut in to me being like, you know, Oscar, it's just, it's so hard. It's really tough. I watch a lot of football. I travel to watch more football. Like, I just wish I were a plumber. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's, that's really your next move is just, you already know angles. I mean, you understand math. <laughs> I feel like pipes, listen, pipes are the next Listen, step. Chris, uh, I love what you've done for me. I love the company, but my heart is in, in, the, uh, in the can, so to speak. And so I'm going to just follow my passion and uh, clean toilets for the rest of my life. All right, well, George, it's good to have you back, dude. A, 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 little, a little bonus, a little, uh, little amuse-bouche, if you will, for, for the podcast, because I wanted to have you on to talk about something very, very specific, uh, and that is all those ridiculous people that think that Kyle Shanahan's a bad coach and that he should be on the hot seat. And you know what? We should have traded two first-round picks for Dante Fowler because we need an edge rusher. And, and that's the kind of the, the bold moves we need, damn it, George. Uh, so what you're saying is that really I opened by talking about the same thing that we're about to talk about right now, which is a bunch of crap. Yes, that's exactly Pull- right. Pulling the things that are in the bottom of the toilet out and uh, giving them their proper due. No, I mean, I, I saw some of this and I, I immediately write off like 95% of the things I see on Twitter. Um, but when it comes to 49ers things, usually hits a little closer to home. Um, I, I can't imagine that anyone that's actually a fan, like a legitimate, sane human being like i understand there are people out there with disabilities i get that i'm not talking about them i'm talking about like you can you can get a driver's license um you know you you've held down a job you're not legally required to wear a helmet at all times exactly you can be within 500 feet of a school without being sniped down by the fbi like all these things that are sort of assumed when you know 
you you are a normal person. I can't. It doesn't make any sense to me that you could actually be arguing, uh, even internally, much less in public, which I would think most people would view Twitter as, that, that Kyle Shanahan should be on the hot seat in any way, shape, or form. Well, I think in a very in a qualitative way, if you look at the fact that he's made C.J. Beathard look like an actual NFL quarterback for stretches of play, that in and of itself should be case in point as to why he should continue to be coach. You know, I mean, it's it's absurd. It really is. Now, of course, there are lots of qualitative measures that that we could look at. And just the fact that he's able to actually have this this team be competitive, even though they're devoid of talent at a couple of key positions. The fact that you have 49ers receivers, uh, the likes of which you've never heard before. Trust me. I mean, who outside of the Niner fandom knows, you know, like Kendrick Bourne or even Victor Bolden Jr. Or who, who the hell knew Trent Taylor? And yet they are running wide open at times in the 49ers offense, despite all of that, there are still some ways in which you can differentiate good coaching from bad coaching in a quantitative way. So, George, how the hell do you begin to disaggregate the effect of coaching on a team in a measurable way? Well, I think the first thing is you, you know, coaches are only able to do the best they can with, with what they're given, right? So, when you look and we look at the top coaches, and I'll talk about how we measure them in a second. But when we get there and I list off, you know, who they are so far this year, you're going to go, oh, man, that's really interesting. That's a quarterback that's really good. That's another quarterback that's really good. Like most of them have quarterbacks that are good. And C.J. Beathard is not good. I, I, I like C.J. Beathard. I'm sure he's a nice guy, but he wasn't good last year. He hasn't been good this year. And um, and quite frankly, like they should not have been in that in that Packers game, um, I'm gonna, I want well, to talk about He played out that. of his mind for a half. I mean, he played. He had one half of elite football, uh, and that meant the Niners were able to hang with everyone. But then, you know, he came back to earth because you regress to who you are, and and he regressed back to you know good old CJ Beathard, a guy whose most notable trait is his toughness. And I think I think we should talk about it in a second where the Niners motives should actually be because I, I think it's a really interesting question and how you do that within the framework of building a strong culture is, is an interesting one. Um, but, but to just lay out a couple of facts here, there are ways to measure, you know, sort of the success of a team and the success of a coach specifically. One of the ways that we do that at PFF is we try to, we, what we do is we want to say how much better is it offense, or you could do this for we do this for defense as well, but here we'll talk about offense. How much better is an offense than what we'd expect that offense to generate? So what I mean by that is we can use PFF grade for every single player, obviously, because we grade every player on every play, and we can use some mathematical techniques to predict what that set of players with their you know, specific skills or lack thereof to, to produce on each play. And then what we can say is, okay, well, how well did this team actually do, right? And what we'll attribute the excess or lack of excess or deficit, I guess you'd say, we attribute that to the coach, right? So if you have some sort of average team, and let's say you'd expect from them zero expected points added per play, and I think I've explained that before, but for those uh, people who are listening that are new, expected points added basically contextualizes what happens on a given play. So for example, gaining five yards on a third and four would be worth more than gaining five yards on a third and 15 
um, you know, et cetera. Right. So it's a very good measure of how well did a offense perform. And so if that, that offense that we expect to gain zero expected yards per play gains, you know, a half an expected point on a play, you know, or over the course of a season, that would be incredible. And that would be attributed to the coach. Does that kind of make sense? No, it makes absolute sense. I think the first question that jumps to my mind is how do you prevent this, this kind of feedback loop in the actual calculation of the score where the, the players are performing a little bit better because of the positions in which a coach is putting them in? I'm thinking of someone like Marquise Goodwin, where you could make the argument that I don't think this is true, but you could make the argument that Marquise Goodwin is a product of the Shanahan system. He's not actually any better or worse than he was in Buffalo. Um, but he is, you know, he's a little better because of the types of routes or the way he's utilized, and that is coaching. So, you know, kind of the, what you would expect from an offense, their, grade is, their grades are going to be just a tad inflated uh, because of the positive situations in which they're put in, um, you know, and system fit and, and whatnot. So uh, One is of the that nice an things, issue, or, or is that something that's already addressed in the way that you calculate that, that score? No, so that, that's one of the nice things about math is that it will – it will say, you know, it won't over-exaggerate certain things, right? It'll actually do, it'll tend to do the opposite, right? And we want it to be a little more conservative, a little more general, right? We want to fit the general case and sort of sort of reach these outliers. And so even if you are a good team, right, let's say you have some receivers that are spectacular receivers. I'm trying to think of a good example here. Um, let's say the Detroit Lions, for example, right? Their receivers are really, really good, and they've sort of been helped by the fact that they actually have to be really, really good to generate some value because Matt Stafford, at least last season, was sort of a below average quarterback in terms of accuracy. So they had a lot of opportunities to show off their skills, right? And because of these things that happen, when we predict what a team is going to do, what a set of players are going to do, the the grade is important, right? But it's not going to jump to tremendous conclusions right it's not going to say just because we've got a receiver that's doing well let's expect this huge outcome from this team right so it's still possible for coaches who have a lot of talent on their team who have players that are playing well to coach well because what we expect from a team is going to be subdued a little bit because we want to be general in these situations so um you know the niners are far from the best group of players certainly and if you look at, so, so far this season, uh, Shanahan, so what I'll first say is about Shanahan, which is really interesting, is that with the Falcons, he was in the top five every season as an offensive coordinator. And when we split out the Niners with Jimmy and without Jimmy, with Jimmy G, he's a top five coach once again. And when you look at those situations without Jimmy G at quarterback, it's really, the, the difference is just it's very stark, right, in what the team does. So if we look at just EPA per play uh, on, on, in its raw form, with Jimmy G, they're the fifth best offense in the NFL. And on all plays, runs and passes. Without Jimmy G on the field, they're the fourth worst offense in the NFL. So, And is I that mean, overall across both seasons, or is that just looking at, at Jimmy G snaps in 2018? That's both seasons. So, so that also includes the, the three, two and three quarters games that he had this season as well, even though that was, according to you know, the most fans' kind of gut feel, not as good of a performance as you would have uh, expected from Jimmy last year. Yeah, no, and I, I think that's a little overblown too. So I think, the, I think the expectations were sort of unreasonably high, 
And there were some things that I, I think that Vikings game was pretty indicative of what his few games were like, right? In that he had he made some incredible throws. He did not get helped out by his his receivers, right? That George Kittle drop will forever sort of be blazoned in my brain. And, you know, then he kind of turns around and feels the need to force a little bit. I think he said this, you know, I'm not going to quote him here, but, it, you know, just sort of paraphrasing, look, I tried to do a little too much. Um, when I was out there, I need to sort of learn from what happened. And when I come back, I need to be a little bit better. Um, so he wasn't, he wasn't spectacular this season as, as he was last year, but it wasn't nearly as bad as, as the numbers would indicate. You know, I think last year, People will point to his interception percentage. I know Bardwell wrote about this. Yeah, that's um, right. We've already. I, that's that, that's one of the things about Jimmy that always kind of gets me is like, okay, so interceptions, though, as as I know that you know, uh, are infused by so much luck in, in terms of whether or not the the ball is tipped, whether or not it goes up in the air, whether or not it's an actual interceptable pass. But the you know Jaquaski Tart drops it as he's done several times this year. <laughs> Um, you know, those are all the, the outcome is not what you judge. You have to kind of judge the process. And when you look at the process of his throws, yeah, there were some poor decisions, but uh, uh, he did not get a lot of help on a lot of those interceptions. No. And, and I mean, last season he was, I want to say top five in turnover worthy play rate. And that includes fumbles, which oftentimes people just like assume don't happen, which is really funny in and of itself. Cause those can actually, I would think. Uh, be more perhaps more costly depending on where you fumble than uh, an interception but his look for even if we look at um, you know this year included his turnover the play play rate is below three percent the league average is about 3.5 so it's not as if he is putting the ball up uh, for grabs more often than average um, and he's in the top 10 so that, that's not something that that I would be particularly worried about um, and then you look at some of the things that he does really well, uh, he, he really made a tremendously high rate of, of perfect throws, what we call like in stride throws. Um, I think he was right at about 23% to give you an idea of how good that is. Tom Brady over the last three seasons leads the NFL at 24%. So Jimmy G is literally the second guy right behind him in terms of this ability to make these perfect throws. And that is... <laughs> The stark contrast between that and what C.J. Beathard has done, poor guy. So Jimmy's at like 23%. C.J. Beathard's below 10%. He's like 9.3%. So he's just not capable of making the high-variance throws that, that Jimmy is, and that really hinders an offense. I mean, their offense is totally different um, without Jimmy in there. And I don't think I don't think we should be blaming Kyle Shanahan for that. No, absolutely not. And I think, you, you know, the, the point you made earlier, which is a – sculptor can only work with the clay that he's given i think makes a ton of sense and at the most important position in football which is the quarterback kyle shanahan has uh what at best is imperfect clay but i think the neat thing about epa is that you can also apply that to coaching decisions and this is one of the mm-hmm. other areas in which kyle shanahan gets some unmerited crap from i i guess the the eggs on twitter where, oh, he should run more instead of pass, and then he runs more, and then it's like, he should pass more instead of run. And, you know, everyone kind of uses the, the albatross of the Super Bowl to say Kyle Shanahan kind of loses it in late-game situations, and they will cite his, I think, 3-7 and seven record uh, in, like, you know, one-score games over his two years, or one-and-a-half years in, in San Francisco. Um, I think 
to, to the point that we were talking about earlier, the three games he's won, which were one-score games, were games where he had Jimmy Garoppolo. The seven games that he lost were games where he did not have Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, but talk, you said it right there. Talk I mean. to me a little bit about how his coaching, deci- how his coaching decisions grade out uh, on your coaching model and whether or not there's anything to be worried about with Kyle Shanahan. So this will get to my kind of bigger point. It's just like, where should your motives be? But um, there is a really distinct sort of difference in the way that he has coached with Jimmy G at quarterback and without Jimmy G at quarterback. And a a little example of that is they run about 10% more play action with Jimmy at quarterback than they do with anyone else. Um, And I think that speaks to the way that he coaches the game with without a quarterback that can do anything. And the late game decisions sort of point to that as well, um, or just decisions in general. Um, he was actually last year, one of the more conservative in terms of going for it, right. Kicked a lot of field goals. Um, you know, the Jimmy field goal thing. Um, but I don't think any of that, that's a really small sample thing. Right. And so I don't think any of that, um, you know, should be a cause for concern and that pointing to a record in close games when, you know, seven of them are with a quarterback, this below replacement level is ridiculous. So the other, the other option there in terms of decision-making is like, when do we run or pass? And here's what I'd say about that. In general, Jimmy G has been one of the better quarterbacks throwing on early downs and Kyle Shanahan and his teams, even if we go back to, uh, you know, his time with Matt Ryan, have been one of the better teams at throwing on early downs. And that is a clear, you know, marker of, you know, good coaching and success. Um, and running is really to be used sort of in those third and fourth and short situations, right? Which I think, um, you know, just the eye test would tell me, I don't actually have the numbers in front of me, but the Niners do a really nice job of, right? Like I think, you know, is it Matt Breda is basically a generational ta- talent at this point. I don't know if he's still leading in yards per carry, but I think he was so going into last week or something. He was, he was for a while. I'm really glad that, uh, that you're both acknowledging his talent, uh, even if you are butchering his name, as I uh, am likely to butcher yours. Is it um, Breda? It's Breda. That- it's Matt Breda, Breda like Cheetah. Uh, ah, so I've been saying it wrong Breda this whole time. Yeah, you have. It's okay. We won't hold it against you. But uh, he, I'm so happy that we traded up in the first round to pick him. Uh, it's important that's that was the move i mean that that's the move um <laughs> that's well so here's i, I want to ask you this though because i do think so there were some interesting things in that in that cardinals game and one of them was that third and i think it was five uh, maybe six yards where look if they pick this up they, they have a pretty good chance of icing this game out and it's very clear that the cardinals are about to send everybody right everybody's at the line of scrimmage they, you know, Wilkes blitzes all the time. It, this is as clear as day that they're going to blitz. And to that point, C.J. Beathard has been blitzed more than any quarterback in the NFL this season. So nearly 40 percent. It's the most in the NFL. So this is clearly going to be a blitz. I don't know if you have the most faith in C.J. Beathard, you know, realizing it's a blitz. It didn't seem like he really realized his blitz. It didn't seem like he did anything to protect for that blitz. It didn't seem like, you know, he was really concerned about it. And first off, I think Jimmy would have figured that out. Secondly, do you think that Kyle Shanahan maybe, just maybe, said, you know what, I'm not going to call a timeout here. I realize that they're sending the house. I realize there's a decent chance that my quarterback that's been blitzed more than anyone else has no effing idea what he's going to do. But I'm not going to call a timeout here. 
I think and I it, think I think you know why he might not. Oh, I, I know why. I, I think the I mean we've been we uh, with another writer on Niners Nation uh, coined the term the elegant tank last season, where you get you you have a really strong showing, and you get really really close, and you push that team late, but then eventually you lose. Right? I think the Green Bay game is the the preeminent you know definition of the elegant tank. Going into Lambeau against a, a you know a decent team against Aaron Rodgers, the team looked like a phenomenal team for a half, and then fell apart in spectacular fashion, and ended up still advancing in the draft position game. Do do I think that that makes the most sense for a team and is the best long term outcome? Absolutely, but I also think that that Kyle Shanahan as an individual competitor is not is not going to let those things slide. Um, okay. Which is so I, I agree with you, I, but I want to say I want to I want to posit something else, which is that he's not doing it, it, it on purpose. He's not thinking about it. It's a sort of implicit thing, right? So I think it's possible that his conscious, which I assume is pretty intelligent, given that I think Kyle Shanahan is pretty intelligent, is is sort of beckoning for him to let the guys play, right, and sort of let them figure it out. And I think. The result of that when your players aren't very good is going to be that you probably lose some of those close games. Um, but that sort of strikes me as his personality, and I think it might be manifesting itself in the elegant take, which is which is the greatest term ever because as someone that loves tank tops, I'm just envisioning <laughs> the most elegant of tank tops. Oh, yeah. that's uh, We actually have tank tops on our merch store that we sell that will soon have elegant tank on them uh, with the Better Rivals logo. So, yeah, we'll... We'll send you one. You'll be able to, as, to rock that. As you know, soon as they're in stock, <laughs> you let me know. I will. So I actually, ha- I think maybe same outcome, but posit a different rationale for said outcome. Because I think the outcome of letting him play and letting him learn is, is one outcome. Or, or one reason that you will get the, you know, kind of not calling timeouts and things like that. But I also think about late in the game against the Cardinals where, The Niners had a fantastic drive over the third and fourth quarter, and then it ends up stalling inside the five-yard line when Beathard can't manage a a zone read handoff with Brita, and all of a sudden he's got to have like you know a a one-yard run up the middle, and and the drive falls apart. The Niners end up kicking a field goal there. But for all intents and purposes, I think the math says you got to go for it there because basically the going for it is going to more often than not get you more points repeatedly than, you know, kind of kicking the field goal there. And if they score there, the game is effect almost over. Now I think, you know, he plays it safe, not because he is in any way, shape or form tanking or because he's like, let them play out. Let's see what happens. I think he's probably more aggressive when he knows he has the players to be more aggressive. And so he ends up being more conservative because he understands the limitations of his talent. And he thinks, well, and he's probably doing, you know, kind of rough risk analysis in his head. And he's like, I don't know, man, I don't think I can pick this up on fourth down, fourth and four with CJ Beathard. And I don't know that my defense, despite the fact that they've been playing decently against Josh Rosen, can necessarily hold up. So at this point, the, 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 the thing that I think is going to give me the most probability to win is to kick the field goal. Even though if you replace some pieces and you say, okay, Jimmy Garoppolo is there, he's like, you know what? It's about 60-40. I get this because I trust Jimmy, so let's go for it. So he becomes a more aggressive coach when he has better players because he thinks he's going to get more positive outcomes 
and that kind of feeds itself in a cycle of you know making better decisions based on the math and overall kind of getting more expected points in his decisions overall well the math backs that up very strongly we have a model that we use to predict an isolated machine learning model that predicts you know conversion probability basically and the, there is a drastic difference, especially once you get so like fourth and one, you know, third and one, those things it, you really should run the ball there. And so if you have a good offensive line, you know, the, the it, things are kind of scrunched around, you know, a, a common number. But when you get into third and three, third and four, fourth and three, fourth and four, that is where the quarterback becomes vital. Right. And so we see a really drastic kind of flip when you have a good quarterback when you have a good situation you know it can be closer to 60 40 and the opposite is true you know you can even dip into the the high 30s when you have a particularly bad quarterback situation and i think i think that that is correct there like i i also think the other side of that is even if you have jimmy g on your team you might think to yourself josh rosen has not done anything in this game if we just get the ball back right will run out the clock. I, I don't, you know, so I, I'm not going to defend that situation if Jimmy was in there, but I think without, without Jimmy G in there, that's super defensible. And, um, I, look, I supported it because, because I'm here rooting for the elegant tank. I think we all are. And, and ultimately I think if, if we're to encapsulate the, the conversation about whether or not Shanahan's a good coach, I think it boils down to, you know, he still doesn't have a, you know, a, a talented roster and he is devoid of talent at the most important position in football. And no matter if CJ Beathard was drafted in the, in the third round and no matter if he's flashed at times here and there, he is still at best a backup quarterback. And, and that is going to drag down an offense by quite a bit. And then I think when you look at Kyle Shanahan's decision making by and large, it, it is going to be impacted by the fact that he knows he has subpar talent. Um, but even then, I, I think some of his decisions aren't always uh, necessarily the worst when it comes to, to running and passing. So uh, I think there's, there's, no, there's no way to, to look at it and to come to the conclusion that Kyle Shanahan is a bad coach or that he should be on the hot seat. Uh, and we haven't even gotten into you know, some of the, the talent acquisition stuff, which I think is a, is a separate conversation. But uh, it just, it's, it's crazy to me that, that anyone could come to that conclusion, which is uh, exactly why I thought it'd be good to have uh, to have our, our resident uh, math expert here on to, to tell you not only is, is your gut wrong, but uh, the science is telling you you're wrong as well. If you're one well, of those you, weird people you who get thinks all, that he's on the hot seat. You, you get all these people who are going to judge things on result instead of process. And I would say <laughs> that is a provenly incorrect technique. But here, I think here's maybe one of the best ways to sort of close it out. And I'm going to borrow this idea from the beloved Bill Simmons, which is to always sort of think of what your opponent would least want you to do. And I think that's actually really instructive for fourth down decisions because it will often lead you to the right, the right choice. Um, and, and I do think to be fair, like if there was one place to criticize Kyle Shanahan, it would be if Jimmy G's in there and we're still kicking a ton of field goals when we've got a strong offense, like, okay, we'll revisit that. But if Kyle Shanahan were to be on the market, okay. Even if you don't fire him right away, let's just say the rumor is he's going to be fired. He's on the market. He would be the hottest coaching commodity. I mean, it, it wouldn't even be close, to be perfectly honest with you. There would be a line out, you know, down the street, out his door with owners and GMs trying to get, get him to be their head coach. And it's not even close. 
So the heck, the Atlanta Falcons might even be one of those teams, right? Like it, <laughs> they it might, is, they absolutely might, because they might. I mean, I, this is you know, I, I I would just say this. I think if that Atlanta Falcons team does not make it to the Super Bowl, I think Kyle Shanahan is. There's a pretty decent chance that he's the coach of the Falcons right now, um, and, and you know, God only knows you know how that team is different, but. And I, I mean, would you agree with me? Like, is there anyone out there that if Kyle Shannon, if he were on the market, is there anyone out there that would be ahead of him on your list for prospective coaches? No, not at all. I think the only one that might dovetail him in terms of hype would be Lincoln Riley. And, and so sure. my question to you would be, but of course, Kyle Shanahan's proven he can do it at the NFL level and Lincoln Riley, while I love him, uh, it has not. So my question to you kind of related to this is if Kyle Shanahan were to become the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Because have you seen the odds for the next Browns head coach? Sean McVay is like plus 200 for whatever reason. I don't get I think it. That, I think that got corrected. I think it was an issue, like an error of that's, some kind. Because yeah, I saw that and I <laughs> almost fell out of my seat. I know. So let's say that for whatever reason, you can wave a magic wand and, and fiat and this whole dystopian world happens where the Browns, with their current roster construction, have Kyle Shanahan as head coach. Are the Browns a playoff team? I, I still think that um, talent-wise, they would be a, a little bit behind the Steelers offensively. So I think it would be I think it would be a close close call with them. But um, he would immediately be the best coach in that division. And I, I have a lot. I really like John Harbaugh. Like him a lot. Uh, but I think that he would be the best coach in that division. And I would, uh, I would say that the Steelers would still be the favorite in that division, but I would probably want to bet on uh, the Browns with Kyle Shanahan, given that I'd probably get a little better odds. Other rando question before I let you go. Uh, so you can go and do the, uh, the, the wonderful finishing of the laundry in, in the, the way that you've looked at coaching, you've talked about expected points added. Do you or have you gone down the path of going to the kind of wins above replacement like you do with with other players to gauge the the kind of a more tangible way of measuring coaches? We have not. That's interesting. I have not um, heard that suggestion yet. And I bet but my compadre, Eric Eager, will, will like that idea quite a bit. Um, that would be really interesting. I think there are probably some some tricky things to do because the way that we do war currently, you know, you need to sort of have a, a measure for how important each thing is, right? So how important is passing, how important is running or how unimportant is running, you know, all of these things. And so we need to find sort of a way to, you know, for each of those things, give a little bit of credit where credit is due to the coach. But, um, man, that would be, that would be really interesting, I think, and probably very valuable to, to some, some teams out there looking for coaches. Cause yeah, would you exactly. say that there is like a massive, like just a massive, you know, like question mark as far as how, what's the process for really hiring a coach, right? He comes in, he has an interview, maybe he's been successful maybe he hasn't, you know, but, um, like I, I think there's a big, probably a big gap. Oh, no one, of- no one knows how to hire a coach. I mean, hiring a coach is, com- I think it's complete luck in a lot of ways. And I mean, we've, David and I did a lot of work looking at the hiring cycle of coaches for like three years because that's what our off season was for a while <laughs> for the podcast. And we tried to find, you know, measures where, you know, coaches that have an offensive background are more successful in defense. 
not always the case, but there's a little bit of a lean that way. Like, you know, the, basically the only thing that we could find that wasn't, that had any kind of fidelity when looking at coaches is the coach not to hire. And the coach that you don't want to hire is the coach that's jumping from a position coach straight to a head coach. That's the only time where you're like, you know what, that's the guy, not going to work out. But other than that, it really is just kind of like, well, it's kind of a toss-up. I, I mean, I would agree with that. And I would say, look, the, the reason you're probably struggling to find any sort of signal there is because it matters what players you get, right? And part of that is the coach making the decision, you know, where to go, right? Like Steve Kerr could have gone to the Knicks <laughs> and we might be saying, man, you know, Steve Kerr might be calling the game on TNT this Thursday had he gone to the Knicks and like, hey, you know, you can't hire guys out of the broadcast booth. They just have no idea what they're doing. Um, I, I, it's tough, man. And I, I, what I'd be interested to see is this coming year, you know, obviously the Browns need a coach, but does any team that needs a coach hire a defensive coach? Because even if they were a defensive coordinator, uh, because I, I, I personally would not. I don't think you can yeah, in any way, shape, it. or form justify not hiring an, a head coach who is an offensive mind. For one, because you're in no way going to get a good offensive coordinator. Any good offensive coordinator will be made a head coach. So, you know, you're screwed there. And then secondly, your most important position, your most impactful position in terms of winning games, your quarterback. So why would you not want your leader to be sort of in, you know, in the same boat you know, seeing things the same way as the quarterback, I, I think that'll be interesting to see going forward. Well, George, thanks again for coming on. I, I look forward to the future iteration of the NFL head coach win above replacement model. Um, and I look forward to finding an acronym that fits with the Oscar so that we can just call it the Oscar coaching ranking. Uh, I mean, you've got S for success in there. You've got C for coaching. You've got a couple of vowels to play with. I feel like we can make something work. I, I'm going to let you, so I'll work on the actual thing <laughs> itself and you can work on coming up with the best, you know, acronym possible. At, or, at worst, we'll have at least three new Sampuranta flavors. <laughs> I, you guys should, uh, sorry, if you're listening, you should certainly check out the PFF forecast for the Sampuranta flavors. That is the number one thing that we, that we promote there. It's a sparkling water for men, you know, finally. So. Um, you know, good news out there for all the Niner fans who are sad because the season is over. You can start watching college football and drinking Sampo Ranta. It'll be a great combination. So you can listen to George on the PFF forecast. Definitely recommend it. Uh, and and thanks again for coming on. Uh, and I guess go Niners in the best way that we know how, which is, of course, a tight, tight loss to continue the elegant tank. Because I'll at this point, it's, it's boasted time, my friend. I'll be, a, I'll be a slight Raider fan this Thursday, I'll tell you that. <laughs> All right, well, have fun traveling. Have fun at the, uh, at the game, and, uh, and I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks, Oscar. Later, guys. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Full Fultron. I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, 
bears in video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Podcast. It's not Voltron.